What's up, viewers and listeners? My name is Jay, and I'm the host of the BJJ Nutrition Podcast. I'm a registered nutritionist based in Bristol, working with clients across the globe, helping BJJ athletes and hobbyists perform to their best and stop any silly weight-cutting strategies, giving the BJJ world the nutrition advice it needs. Thank you very much for tuning in. Of course, if you're not subscribed, click that subscribe button, turn on notifications for further updates and future podcasts, and any feedback will always be greatly appreciated. Again, thank you for your precious time. Let's get stuck into episode one, two brothers versus five guys. Oos. record now just to make sure the levels are all good so just guys keep on talking normally i'm just double check it's not going to reach to the end yeah caught in a trap <laughs> <laughs> oh what's it what's the song you sing tyson fury uh, i was time? just trying to think then it's proper <laughs> i love it at least we know what we're doing. Right, okay, guys, thanks very much for having me on the first podcast of BJJ Nutrition, hosted by myself, Jay. Uh, myself, I run BGL, BDL Nutrition Consultancy based here in Bristol. Uh, the idea of this podcast is to get a little bit more awareness around the nutrition aspect of jiu-jitsu, obviously talk about a few different topics. Um, and yeah, just thank you very much, obviously, for being the first guest on here. Um, obviously, for viewers and listeners out there, these two are my beautiful professors, should we say, who have obviously taught me a lot to this date. Um, and I thought, who better to get on first, obviously, than these lovely gentlemen. Uh, do you guys want to quickly introduce yourself, a little bit of your lineage, what obviously you guys do, what school you represent, and so on? Uh, yeah, so Clayton Chamberlain, uh, we run the Roger Gracie Academy Bristol. Uh, been both training for a number of years together from the start, but uh, and then finally reached Black Belt, and then been running the club for about six years, uh, and just pushing on uh, as, as much as we can every day to to be bigger and better. So that's the that's the aim and that's the that's the goal. So nice. on to my younger, not as good looking brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Luke Chamberlain, Clayton's younger brother, been training jiu-jitsu for 14 years just this past February. Clayton started off our jiu-jitsu journey training uh, prior to me and got me involved and then just head down and stuck with it ever since. And we've ended up with our own club and we're going to build out more clubs in the Bristol and Southwest area, which is the goal. Um, primary focus on our initial club, where of course you're a member, and trying to make it the biggest and best academy, not just in the UK, first of all, and then onto the world. Nice, guys, nice. Um, definitely from my perspective of the experience of different clubs I've gone to, there is a certain way that you guys do this, which is quite admirable. Everything is very professional. Everything is communicated really well across the whole club. You offer a variety of different classes. It's not just focused just on gi or no gi. Um, I'm very much happy to take on board other people from other different backgrounds. I know obviously you've got quite a few MMA guys come down here and stuff like this and wrestlers and stuff like that who want to obviously learn from yourselves, which is very, very cool to see. Um, what I think would be quite interesting to hear is your personal experiences, obviously, with what you've done before in the past in terms of uh, where you've competed at, what sort of levels, any struggles you had, obviously, with any weight management issues, if there was if any at all, uh, or likewise the experiences of maybe even moving up a weight category for any other reason. So, um, as you've got the talking stick, Luke, do you want to start off with uh, what you've done before in the past competitive-wise? Uh, competitively, seriously, being an adult, it was jiu-jitsu primarily because I did other martial arts and fighting arts I was practicing and taught different things and played a lot of rugby up until I was 17 18 um, and then I picked up shin splints trying to put on too much weight actually so interesting I started playing rugby at seven uh, at local level at St Mary's Old Boys in Bristol played local rugby for St Mary's Old Boys along with school rugby at St Bede's school down in Lawrence Weston not too far from here and I went on then to go to St. Brendan's College, which had a great rugby pedigree. Clayton was there before me with uh, his best friend, Ed, who was a great rugby player. And I started to do quite well then with representative stuff. So in the first year, I had like one county appearance coming off the bench. But then in my upper sixth, I captained the county, uh, representative the county, uh, then went to the southwest and I had an England trial. And uh, I didn't get into final England selection. I was selected for an England A-side. And unfortunately, that year, um, Wales chose not to put together an A-side, so I never got to represent the country for rugby at under-18 level. But I was playing as a back row, so six or seven, a flanker, and I was weighing about 12 stone seven at the time okay. in, in Imperial. And 
the average weight of the other seven people in my pack was about 17 stone. <laughs> and so were the other team. We played against the North and they were even bigger. So it was unusual that I was that size for a forward and I was kind of making up for the lack of size with being busy. And um, I spoke to a few people. Gloucester offered me a part-time contract for their under-19s academy. Interesting. Yeah, so one of the selectors for the England um, full team, he was the head selector called Larry Simmons. There was a panel of selectors and um, Larry was outvoted. He, he voted for me unanimously every time that he wanted me in the actual England uh, school squad. But the other uh, four people or three people on the panel uh, voted for another gentleman called Sam, who was a real big, strong ball carrier from Cornwall. Yeah. So um, Larry was also involved with Gloucester and he, he put a recommendation through that they wanted me on board out there. But um, unfortunately, that I thought I knew best. Being 18, I kind of communicated with the wrong advice from the different people. And I said to them, look, I'm going to take a year out to put some size on uh, and I'll come back. Now, um, they did mention that they could have done that for me in time, but I was just adamant I wouldn't be able to survive in that environment at my size. Mm. And during the Southwest training camp that I had, the um, physio asked me at the time, are, are you any good at anything else? And I said... No, not, not really. Um, why do you ask? And he said, well, the way that your body feels as an 18-year-old and the weight that you are and the way that you play, you probably won't make it past professional rugby at like 26 because it's like you're going to be in a car crash every week. Wow. So I, that stuck in my head. It's like, I need to get bigger. So I did get bigger. I went from, that must be like 70, about 76 kilos. I yeah, went from right, 76 right. kilos to 90 kilos in a year. And completely wow. naturally. Okay. I was cal obviously a calorie surplus, really badly put together nutrition plan, just eating a huge <laughs> amount of pasta. Dirty bulk, as <laughs> they say. Yeah, I, I, I did some personal training with a, with a guy that was running a club out of the centre, and he was a former professional rugby player for Bristol. Nice. So I was doing compound lifts and then hypertrophy training, uh, weight training four to five times a week, but I did no cardio, <laughs> no change of direction, no balance work. So I got really big, really strong, but I lost all of the attributes that made me good at rugby. And um, I then tried to come back. I went to Gloucester and was awful. Uh, in the skill sessions, I was slow. My change of direction wasn't there. My balance was not good. My timing was gone. I hadn't played rugby for a year, which is ridiculous when I look back at how that was allowed. <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, um, they said to me, look, you're not where we would like you to be. So we want you to go and play men's rugby for a season. Uh, and then we'll have a look at you, come back, go and play for Cheltenham, they're just around the corner, maybe yeah. even Hartford College, and then we'll get you back in the fold. So I wanted to stay more local rather than driving up the M5, so I went to Dings Crusaders, who were in okay. the uh, National Division 3 South. Yep. Again with Ed, which was a familiar face there, uh, Clayton's best friend. And I played two games, both at opposite ends of the season, against Southend, because I developed shin splints <sighs> after putting on so much weight that I just couldn't get rid of. So I had a year out to get big and then I lost another whole season uh, with injury and it was very frustrating. They were uh, extremely supportive at Dings, paying for my physio, trying to look after me. I was training well, but I just couldn't put a run of consistent training together because I got too big. And um, <clears throat> so I turned it in. Uh, eventually I just fell out of love with it. I lost my passion for it and realized I, mean, I need to take a step back and maybe go back to this, at which time then I was kickboxing and boxing with Clayton up at Phil Allen's Body Focus, who was a brilliant striking coach and ran great classes, going down to the Spaniel on Farm Gym when it was open. And um, then just general circuit training to stay fit. I was a bit lost with my training, to be honest, after kind of competing in rugby my whole life. And um, then we found jiu-jitsu and I just got stuck straight in straight away. I just want to pause you there quickly because there's an interesting point that you mentioned about you put on weight and it then kind of was counterproductive into your ability. And it's, it's this common scenario, which obviously I get across when people sort of inquire or want to work with me with different things about their jujitsu and where they should be weighing in at. What's the best thing for them? And obviously there's this pre-meditated thing that we need to be the bigger person all the time. We need to be big and it's going to make it, even though it kind of goes against the whole philosophy of the smaller person, we ought to control the bigger person. Um, but I always kind of put it to them. I said, that's great in the fact that if you want to be bigger, that's no problem. But how are you going to move at that level? 
Do you know what I mean? And the idea being is that if you're not naturally at that level, is it going to interfere with your style of gameplay all of a sudden? If you can take the attributes of a small person and obviously utilise it at a bigger place, but if you're not accustomed to that level, obviously it's going to impact you in many ways, which you might not be even aware of, the cardio aspect, as you kind of mentioned from there. But it's interesting to see how badly that impacted you from putting on that, that much weight all of a sudden. Yeah, even at that age, 18, 19, when you generally can put weight on and take weight off and kind of adapt quite quickly, I, I wasn't I wasn't able to at all in the rugby sense. Not not at that level. I mean, I could have played at a local level and been absolutely sure. fine, but competing at a level where the margins are quite small, uh, then no, I was I was a long, long way just in that short kind of nine to ten months space of time from my best. Um, but in, in jiu-jitsu, it settled down. So I got back down to a started jiu-jitsu at about 80 seven kilos still okay. quite big but losing some of the excess weight i had so i was in good shape but just a bit too bulky from the lifting that was sure. in my mind unnecessary for my body type for jiu-jitsu so then i spent about 10 years competing in jiu-jitsu uh, between middleweight which is 80 kilo upper limit and medium heavyweight 86 kilo upper limit mm. i was never a true medium heavyweight i was like a in-betweener right now i'm like 79 80 kilos intentionally cutting down because I wanted to strip off some bad weight after not training consistently. Mm. I was always depleted at 80 kilos. I didn't do, um, I didn't manage my nutrition correctly or my training, so I was very depleted. Not a lot of musculature that I needed. So I, then I would add that to go to medium heavy, but then have this inclination in my head that I'd lose against a couple of big guys. And because I didn't have the technical advice or the technique available to me, the knowledge available to me to become technically superior, we didn't have the access to information and world-class coaches that are available now online. Um, you know, I've developed myself as a coach to athletes now, but uh, my coach did his best with what he had at his disposal, but I wasn't, mm. um, you know, I didn't have the availability of world-class technique. Yeah. So I was losing and I hated losing. I didn't understand why I could, I reached a cap technically and then I just thought, right, I need to get bigger, stronger. So I then try and put some more weight on, eat and eat and eat and be in a surplus lifting too much, getting a bit stiff, changing my style and not moving the way I should move um, and, you know, found varying success up and down between middle and medium heavyweight, but never actually managed it correctly the whole time I was doing jiu-jitsu. That's interesting. So it's taking, taking you a few years just to find your comfortable zone as such then? I don't even believe I've truly found it. If I, if I look back, because I've got intentions to compete again, but not in the same way that I was before, like intently trying to be the best I could possibly be and prove a point to myself and everybody else. Um, I would say the best I've felt is when I've been able to consistently do some uh, lifting work, maybe two times a week, mixed in with prioritizing jujitsu skills work, staying fit and fast at about 83 kilos. Nice. So that's that's a good weight for me where I can maintain all of the mobility flexibility speed movement you know all encompassing a bit of explosive power as well i've always been uh, strong in like the tensile kind of isometric tension sense yep. so that's never been an issue but just weight bearing as you know if you're carrying someone's weight you need a bit of weight on you and your frames to carry people's weight um so 83 kilos was generally the, the best weight i could get to but i found it kind of unsustainable for quite a long time because of the general demands of life when i was competing in jiu-jitsu i was working in the in the trades at eight hours a day as well so it's not easy yeah i can imagine um we'll pass the talking stick over to clayton please try and resist not to sing my, my miss american pie but <laughs> <laughs> what's your background then clay what, what's the situation with you uh, it's, it's always been martial arts really um uh my dad just got me involved in martial arts when i was about four years old and um that's always been always been the the, the main driving point for me I've played football and rugby and uh, other bits and bobs like endurance running and uh, just doing some different events uh, the marine challenge and uh, uh, half marathons and stuff um, but I didn't ever really get that enjoyment um, out of those things like when you're I was doing long a lot of long distance running uh, I was doing, losing loads of weight then felt super fit and really good but like Luke said there's always that balance the balance is the hardest thing for me mm. um, and then competed all the way through uh, in a, like a sport karate uh, point, st uh, point stop uh, uh, type of setting. Competed a lot as a kid all the way throughout the belts um, and travelled abroad competing as well. And uh, 
Oh, did you uh, ever bump into Rory Daniels then? Uh, I went to school with Rory Daniels. Did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so I'm from Cleveland originally. Yeah, so. yeah, Rory's a good lad. Yeah, he's a good lad. Um, so he used to train uh, Hayashi, I believe. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I still, I still, I hadn't seen him for, I seen him a couple of years ago, uh, but he had just started when we were in school. Uh, hey, hey. We, we, I think he was like 14 when he started, 13, 14. And uh, we, had, we used to have a little mess about now and again in school. Uh, but you could tell he was going to be good. He's long. He's he's perfect build for a striker, long, lean, yeah. uh, long limbs and and yeah don't carry carry much excess weight. Do you know what I mean that's yeah. what I've always been able to get down to decent weights um, uh, because I've got a small frame. Do you know what I mean I've got wrists of a ten year old boy <laughs> 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 and not much weight on my legs. But it's good for martial arts. That yeah. that type of frame is good for martial arts. So um, uh, as far as as far as diet, we didn't really have a my dad went really into nutrition and we'd fin my dad was my first martial artist well actually my second uh, or uh, maybe third actually but he took me to black belt my dad my dad nice. tied my first black belt around my waist and um, but we'd we'd go training he had his own club uh, martial arts club and um, we'd come back from training and we'd just have like <laughs> fish and shit <laughs> and, and he'd think that's fueling your body back up <laughs> do you know what I mean but um uh, calorie intake but uh, it was nice but uh, but then I've learned gradually over the years to uh, especially more so with the jiu-jitsu um, uh, how to get down the weight and what, what, I, what I do is probably sometimes you, you think what is right and that's where you need to go to experts that's what we said at the start we have a little chat with you um, because I'd, I'd usually uh, compete at lightweight mm -hmm. uh, gi and no gi so it'd be uh, 76 in the gi and 73.5 no gi and I used to make that comfortable yeah comfortable um, uh, and then uh, but it was nice like we said about carrying that weight I felt good I felt good at lightweight mm. uh, and we'd we competed in uh, like all facets of jiu-jitsu Luke and myself of uh, like timed matches in the gi timed matches no gi uh, different rule sets uh, like super fight stuff like we have done one in the cage both done one in the cage for the two O'Hagan brothers nice um, and submission only as well with no time limit in the gi and no gi also and I remember being a white belt at like 70 74 kilo maybe and uh, competing against like <laughs> the people don't know what you're doing just in like a <laughs> wing wang <or> something, <laughs> and uh, yeah going against uh, guys who were much bigger than me yeah, uh, but really enjoying it. Feeling, not enjoying it at the time, maybe. <laughs> Quite stuck like inside dying. control, yeah, going yeah. horrible. Oh, I'm just looking at Luke, he's like, <laughs> laughing at me, <laughs> to, feeling my pain. But uh, I, I'd also then I, f I felt uh, I wanted to drop weight to to compete at featherweight. So okay, uh, I competed at featherweight in the gi and no gi also. How did you uh, find that? To be honest, in the gi, it was it was that little the last half kilo for me. Yeah, because I get down to sixty-eight, mm -hmm. and in the gi, and I feel strong, uh, feel really good. But a lot of the time, I'd be really tall for the weight, and then I was fighting like blokes who look like odd job. Do you know what I mean like little <laughs> bowling balls? <laughs> 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 and they're they're may, they're maybe um, uh, they're just hard, harder to contain and stuff. I was, that was the hit or miss for me. It was it was difficult thinking. Do I go with these longer guys a bit easier for me? Anyway, it's hard to deal with short short guys for for me. Um, but then when I competed no gi, like I said, that extra half a kilo to come off, it was hard work. That uh, I felt it really draining, especially same day weighing. Yeah, I can especially imagine. that same day weighing, and I'd just be weighing, get there early as I can to try and have a chat to the guy running the comp. Say, oh, I get in, like I get in now mm. in the morning, and then uh, felt alright because probably adrenaline after time, and you're yeah. you're just wanting it, you're chomping at the bit to have a go, but. Um, if I had to have match after match, I don't know if it was sustainable. Like, do you mean to energy levels and yeah. uh, everything else with it? Um, so, yeah, uh, that's what really, as far as cutting the weight and nutrition, it would always be, mine would be the opposite. Like, Luke had that dirty bulk. Do you know what I mean, I enjoy a dirty bulk after competing. Yeah, like we all do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it would be just really calorie deficit and um, trying to not eat till mid-afternoon, like intermittent fasting. Okay. Uh, and I, I was training a lot down Trojan. Yeah. At the time we mentioned Matt Yard, Greg's out there, Matt <laughs> Parsons. That's the one. He'll, he'll lose a sponsorship now. <laughs> but uh, he had a guy down there, and he was uh, 
uh, he was selling the ketones sachets. Ah, uh, yeah. And I thought they were really good. I would like to hear your imp- opinion on that sort of stuff. Yeah. I, I found loads of energy when I was taking those ketones. The ketones approach in the sachets is an interesting one because in terms of weight manipulation, it, it it's fantastic. We can manipulate people's weight, obviously, as best as we can. The issue that we get is um, trying to find the right balance of one, are we following the ketogenic diet truly, right? And the idea being that there's levels to it. It's like um, veganism, right? You get people who are really like, I'm not touching dairy or I'm not, I might touch or they might be paid. Um, oh, what's the word? Uh, well, they'll have fish in their diet. Pescatarian. that's the one. Um, and you'll get different levels of it. And it's the same with the ketogenic diet is that there's levels to it and how much people will have. Some people have some carbs, some people have a little bit lower than what the average person will have. Some people have no carb at all. Now, the issue you've got is that, the expression I always say is that you can run a diesel car on vegetable oil, right? Does it like doing it? Not really, right? Something goes wrong, it's not particularly great. The car would rather have diesel, right? And that's the thing, when we look at carbohydrates as a group, that is basically battery cells into our body to feed us and give us energy. Yes, once the body's in the correct state, it can start doing something called gluconeogenesis, which is where it will convert proteins and fats into energies, uh, and it, well, energies, into energy for the body. However, the body doesn't get into that straight away. It takes weeks, days, and then on top of that, you've got to check to see, obviously, if you're in that right level of ketosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a, a lot to do to really kind of help with that. And so, uh, there's definitely reports of other you know, dietitians and nutritionists in other fields, such as the UFC and stuff like this. So I think one of McGregor's, uh, Conor McGregor's previous dietitians was getting him to do a very similar thing of keto and fasting. And it was moving his weight loads. His performance, however, it was just very much subpar all of a sudden. Um, and so it's, again, it, it's, it's a tool you could use, utilize, if there was like a very last minute thing that we needed to address. But for performance-wise, as sports science is coming along, you want an athlete to be competing as best as possible, do a little bit, obviously, on fight week, but even then, obviously, it shouldn't be draining. And, uh, yeah, probably to answer the question directly, useful for weight manipulation, sports performance, however, big no-go, really wouldn't go down that route. Um, and the, it's the sustainability of it as well is, is the issue. Again, I'm sure, obviously, after you finish the, the ketone process, it was the case of then, where's my next bowl of pasta or pizza or garlic bread type of stuff. So it's... Um, yeah, on, on keto, so I, I did something similar. And what you mentioned, the steps and stages to it, I was doing, I tinkered first with like a um, pure, pure ketogenic diet, which was really, really difficult to sustain. Yeah. And then I went on to 100 grams of carbs a day, down then to 50 grams of carbs a day. So that was manageable, but it was exactly what you said. I was able to take in like 3,000 calories a day with loads of fats and uh, loads of protein, probably yep. about 100 and between 150, 200 grams of protein a day for my current uh, my weight at the time. Then loads of fat, so you can really enjoy the food mm. and get a bit of variety going after a while, but the performance in jiu-jitsu was just not happening. That's where I would have 25 grams of carbs with a banana before jiu-jitsu, for instance, to get out of my system and give me a kick at the backside to actually yeah. do the training. But I would burn through that so quickly, I felt so drained and literally like flaked out, like I was going to pass out after doing two intense rounds of more anaerobic work. Well, I remember rolling with Charlie, uh, our brand belt, yeah. purple belt farm boy at the time, who just used to like hip switch, go <laughs> mental scrambling. And I was just so gassed. I was like, this doesn't feel right. I felt weak. Mm. And um, yeah, it was, I just didn't have the fuel for jujitsu. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because again, obviously hearing both your stories from there, it, at no point has, it, but it sounds like someone's come in and said, right, okay, this is sports science, this is sports nutrition. You've had to pluck things, obviously, from what you've seen. And there's definitely things from other sports which are dripped into jiu-jitsu. I'd say well, people look at it, obviously, they look at the bodybuilders and go, what is he doing? He looks jacked and shredded all the time type thing. Yet let it, they, People don't make the connection that when they're stood on that bodybuilding stage, if you went and just push them over, they'll just collapse to the floor. They've got no energy type thing. And so it's not that superior. Um, likewise, obviously, from other sort of sports out there, which doesn't require the same amount of intensity, obviously, of what jiu-jitsu brings. Again, it's, it's hard for, I could see from your position, guys, obviously, for coaching other people to be able to say, go and do this. Obviously, you guys can teach techniques until you <laughs> go blue in the face type thing, which is there. But it's interesting to see that there's no, it doesn't seem to be much support around most, or at all jiu-jitsu schools to be able to say, right, okay, this is how we're going to do strength and conditioning. This is how we're going to do nutrition. This is how we're going to do recovery, should we say. It seems to be 
as a school, it's down to you to kind of reach out and find that information. Yeah, it is, and we've we've ensured that we've done that here. So we we've got a full time competition team here, uh, uh, four full time competitors, five full time competitors now at the moment, and we've kind of ensured that we've outsourced that. And that one that's left for the team to collectively to do is nutrition, and that's why I've mentioned a few bits to you recently. So. We've got um, Matt Hancock, not not the famous one. <laughs> uh, a good mate of mine that we trained jiu-jitsu with years ago, but he's... Um, Sorry, we'll, we'll clip that bit. We'll put it on. <laughs> yeah, we've got Matt Hancock here. And everyone's going, what's this all about? He does jiu-jitsu. Yeah. There we go. Um, so he runs a strength and conditioning program, manages uh, wellness, and making sure the athletes are recovering. Um, we've worked with sports psychologists. Um, nice. And, and then trying to fill in that gap with nutrition. Of course, we've kind of managed the technical side of things and... Uh, planning aspects of their competition calendar so we're trying to do the things that aren't offered broadly to other jiu-jitsu athletes and oftentimes you'll have a jiu-jitsu club that has maybe the same number of athletes working in a professional way that ours do going out and competing at a high level regularly but here it's just all consistent and aligned and mm. we're in the process of making sure that we're kind of dedicating those particular aspects into our athletes specifically for jiu-jitsu not saying what a wrestler's doing or MMA guy's doing because it's different. Mm. The, the, the output, like you said, the energy output's completely different. Yeah. The demands on them are completely different. The wear and tear on the body is completely different. So it's trying to get all of that aligned and getting nutrition now. Finally, this is all coming around at the right time. Definitely. It's, it's interesting to see you guys really do treat it's like a, as, a, as, a, as, a as a team, if that makes sense. Obviously, obviously, there's no school in mind when I say this. Obviously, some people can just turn up do their jiu-jitsu class, go home, if they compete, great, no problem, we'll be there, we'll try and call you type of thing. But th the way that you guys seem to treat it seems very much similar to what you see at the, at the top level of like New Wave, Beef Team. They, they're all, the idea being that they're trying to then push everyone as best as possible in the right direction. Is that kind of the level of what you guys want to be achieve or acquire to eventually? Is that type of um, demeanor or status or... Uh, the status comes with results, I think. So the focus, if the focus was on status, I think that'd probably be the wrong focus. Some people do do focus on that, trying to get their name out there, and but I don't think that's got longevity or it's not got the right kind of depth in the integrity of what it is you're trying to achieve. So what we're looking to achieve with our primarily with our full time competitors is to develop the athletes first in a five year cycle to take them from day dot, of which some of them were literally day dot, like Yao Chin. And then there's others like Carson who've been training a long time, Max who's been training a bit longer um, than Yauch himself, but taking them from the beginnings of entering into a full-time training program in five years to reach the highest level of the sport. So they're competing at the highest level, being competitive, wins and losses at the highest level. And then the second five-year cycle taking us to 10 years of work is to then conquer the highest level of the sport. So to have them winning a world championship at the black belt level, uh, Pan American European Championships at the black belt level, ADCC trials wins, medals or championships at the ADCC event itself, and um, gi and gi and no gi or whatever they, they choose to apply themselves to. So, primarily as athletes, that's the goal. So to reach the highest level of the sport, and then to conquer the highest level of the sport. And in terms of the wider club itself and our competitors, it's like a drip feed. The higher the level you reach at the peak that comes down to the rest because those athletes I've just mentioned all coach in the club. Mm. We've got an aligned, consistent program that we use and a curriculum that we teach that everyone receives the same jiu-jitsu. We've got um, our own style of jiu-jitsu that we, that we like to apply, which is similar, that we've taken a lot of um, lead from people like John Danaher who exhibits attacking style of jiu-jitsu in the, the kind of more purest sense from being in, him being inspired by Roger, who we're now aligned with, of course. Mm. The, the ethos of control that leads to submission. So it doesn't necessarily need to be hectically trying to submit someone, controlling your opponent, building through controls until you submit them, whether that be in 30 seconds with a leg lock or over a matter of minutes and sometimes even longer than that in submission only, pinning, exhausting and finishing someone. And in terms of the club itself and the community, I think with the community that we have and what we've built, we've got the best club in the world already. Uh, everyone will probably say that about their own community. And in, in terms of the numbers, you know, we've just reached the milestone of 500 members at the club. Well, so congratulations. New, new, yeah, New Wave itself is uh, it's a team, but they operate out of the Roka gym. They're going to be starting their own affiliation. B team, for instance, um, I would hazard a guess at Sam, we're probably pretty close to their member numbers, or they're a fairly new gym, so I'm not sure what their member numbers would be. And another team that we take a lot of inspiration from 
other thing, of course, Roger Gracie Academy in London, which is a long-standing club with a very high member base too, is the art of jiu-jitsu team, uh, okay. the Mendes brothers. Yep. And you know they've been operating for many, many years now, I believe up towards a decade. They're probably closer to a thousand members, but I think being a club in Southmead, straight Westbury and Bristol, <laughs> with two brothers who aren't world champions like the rest of these guys, we've, yeah. done, we've done pretty well. So we're already competing on that front, but we need to eat up the ground and gain the experience to make our mark internationally with our full-time competitors. If you don't want me touching on one thing, you said five years in terms of where you think they dot uh, high level. Is that something that you guys believe personally that is the case or is where you've seen inspiration from the good old guys like Mickey Rod and obviously you've got a shorter time sprain and competing at the higher level type thing? Yeah, so that, that is, you know, you give credit where it's due and give reference where it's due. Um, he's John Danaher. So he doesn't just say it, he's got the belief that you can take an athlete from day zero to world-class within five years in the right training program, in the right training room and the right approach. And then he's not just said that, he's provably done it. So, you know, you take inspiration from elsewhere, you see what those programs have and you compare and you say, what do we have? So therefore, can we achieve that? We have everything that's necessary to achieve that, I believe. So if they can do it, we can do it. And then you try and do it better. Nice. I like that. Very, 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 very good. Right, let's go on to the next question, I think, then. So, let's start with the USADA debacle, I think. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm just massively on it. <laughs> Boosh. <laughs> um, so. But as far as, as, far as drug testing, um, yeah. uh, and you're talking, uh, obviously, the recent, uh, the recent uh, comp, uh, but... I mean, I apply it to, like you did as well, with ADCC and where it can go. And my personal belief as a fight fan, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest because it's better off being honest and I don't like telling lies. But I do, I do like, I mean, the old pride days when they were just juiced to gills. <laughs> Ubering. Yeah, I just, I don't, because I think the top tier, you've seen so many people get pinged. Mm. for doing whatever they're doing. Um, uh, and I think they're all at it, majority of times. Jiu-jitsu-wise, obviously, it's becoming much more prevalent now and then mm. you see it much more just because of the shape and sheer size, size of some of the guys, uh, Gordon Ryan in particular. Um, uh, and that debate at the minute, and Rodriguez is saying that he's clean, where I, I can't see that either. Um, but I don't... At the top tier... I don't mind watching those guys. UFC, when they're, when they're uh, I don't think, I mean, it's much more stringent and you can see it now in the UFC. Yeah, definitely. You can see those body shapes, that they weren't what they were when Overeem was like, had more test in him than a, like a stallion horse, whatever it was. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I don't, uh, if, if it's loose, then obviously everyone's going to be on it. I don't mind watching that. I, I've got no real allegiance mm. to saying that's wrong and that's right. Because if everyone's in the same pool, mm. same pride, when they were all bang on it, everyone's in the set. There is it. It's almost an even playing field because they're all on something. It comes back to Gordon's comment, I think, after the whole people getting banned. It's like, oh look, I'm on it. They're all on it. I still beat them all. It makes no yeah. bloody difference, type thing. Yeah. And it, it's really quite a tricky scenario to manage because obviously I appreciate IBJJF. Obviously, want a prestigious level two things. You've got guys with suits on the mat, refereeing, all this type of stuff. Everything is nice and timed, and so. Similar to when they brought USADA into the UFC, Reebok didn't want to sign with them unless the testing was done because they didn't want to be associated with it, basically. Um, and now we're in this position where I personally believe that there's going to be this split within the jiu-jitsu community of saying, right, non-tested and tested route. And I hate to say this, I think people are going to shy away from the tested route because of the expectations of the athletes to be competing at such a high level, so regularly, and it taking that much effect on their body. Yeah. Like, you can eat well with your nutrition, do not get me wrong, you can have your sleep in check, all your hydration in check, all the supplements you type of need that are not performance enhancing. But it comes to a point, it's then saying, right, if they're not competing, they're not relevant. Yeah, and, and age also as well, as like yeah. Wagner Rocha. Yeah. Got, and his, his excuse was, oh, I'm X amount, what was he now, 38? Oh no, he's 42, same age as me. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're, they're, they're putting it down to age. And uh, again, 
like I said, it's going to make it for more exciting. Because is it black belt at AGP? Is it five minute matches at black belt as well? AGP, yeah. Five minute matches. So they're they're sort of swaying on the side of more entertainment, more action, not as much testing. It's more like like you said, like the, like I said, sorry, the, like the Pride days where it's more about drawing eyes in the excitement and exactly. everything's going on at a fast pace and they got to go at it. Uh, whereas you've got the 10 minute matches, say in the Gi and the IBGF, uh, and you can see a lot of stalling and uh, boring matches. Like, I mean, that's, that's why I put on Carson's post the other day. He makes, he was making Gi matches look exciting again yeah. because it's a fast pace. He's looking for the submission attack in Jiu Jitsu. Um, but it can, that, I think, like you said, it will probably sway people, especially the more attacking oriented people who want to go out there and finish to those events. Uh, uh, to the to the AJP to the ADCC, and that's why the comps like that do draw more more eyes as well, particularly mm. particularly ADCC because uh, they've got obviously as well as Nick the no gi format, so yeah. everyone's tops off, juice to the girls, looks good, <laughs> is is marketed really well, is promoted really well as the lights, the cameras, the the, the MC of the day as well. The, uh, the, uh, See, it's the Japanese yeah, you was it a woman wasn't it it was a woman it was, a woman. It was the woman from Pride yeah. Pride that's the interesting thing you made about marketing and the way it's all presented part of me feels that if it doesn't have to be cheesy it doesn't have to be like overly over the top but if the promotion is such as again I don't want to be here just slating IBJJF obviously I've looked to obviously compete in that myself and I don't have that email one day sorry you're not allowed then so I'll be like God, what have I done now? <laughs> um, but just even the, the marketing and the, the sort of excitingness of, of it, if they were able just to do that, I think they would really get past the whole USADA testing element to it. And it's the fact that when Carson obviously compete, competed on the AGP tour, they knew stuff about him. He'd been on the BBC, like what he's done before, all this type of stuff. And the way that it was presented on that TV screen looked UFC level, right? And I'm there thinking, okay, as me, as an athlete, if I want to get further promotion, we're going to get more marketing behind it, I know which route I'm going to take. Whereas if I go and enter a competition in London, just because it's a prestigious one, but get no publicity about it, right? You might be lucky and get caught, or you might get the flying armbar, which makes the viral wheel. But outside of that, there's nothing else that brings you up from it other than numbers on the leaderboard, which any of us sat here says, it's not really that entertaining. Yeah, yeah. And... That's where I think if they were able to change it slightly and get it more like ADCC, you've got fireworks, flames, like the actual hype about it, they'd get more people over to it in a little bit. But I don't know, is that something you feel you agree with as well? Yeah, Luke, I think there's just a split between some of the more, and there's just loads of um, ambiguity and then there's loads of contradiction within it as well, of the more traditional roots of jiu-jitsu, which is where the IBJJF started competition mm. jiu-jitsu for um, Carlos Gracie Jr., and they, they, like you say, with the ceremony of the referees with the suits, if you say a word to the referee, you'd be warned, penalties, disqualified. And they go out of their way to ensure that they take a really strong stance on avoiding anything outside of complete respect and the values that they want to kind of project about their martial art. And they're kind of speaking to the more Japanese roots of it. And, you know, like Nicholas Marigali won the world championship and then had his gold medal taken away from him after because he gestured, you know, stuck his middle finger up to his opponent's wow. coach in the crowd who was shouting some stuff out at him, being quite detrimental verbally to him. So it's <laughs> like he was winning the match and it's like, you know, saying F you to the guy in the crowd. <laughs> so Marigali had his world championship taken away from him for that. Um, I, that he won in the semi-finals, um, and I don't believe they let him fight in the final of the absolute because he did that after. Um, but at the same time, the same people that echo all these values of respect and humility and fair play are juiced out of their mind, wearing their gi, ripping their gi open, screaming with a ten pack, saying, you know, condoning Gordon Ryan, or not condoning, you know, condemning Gordon Ryan or somebody like him who's a bit more outspoken, who's probably an extremely respectful guy and probably a really nice guy by all accounts, privately but is recognising that he's going to have mouths to feed one day and he's got his own mouths to feed and he's trying to push the sport on mm. and give other people an opportunity and put it into the forefront. Otherwise, it just stays in local gymnasiums in the corner with nobody watching and will have loads of great values, loads of respect attached to the sport, but no eyes, no money. And the only people to make money are people that run their own school successfully, and we know that's not easy. 
um, or you happen to be one of the ones that gets that bit of exposure because you won the world championship at black belt like nine times. So everyone's like, oh, okay, let's go and train at their school or get a seminar from them. So on the other side, you've got people like Gordon and people who are following the model of entertainment and the organizations as such that are doing that, like AJP and the Gi. They do a bit of no Gi as well, um, but primarily their big competitions and exposure are in the Gi. And then the ADCC event itself, which although the IBGF has got a lot of money behind it, it doesn't seem like they like to spend it very much. Mm -hmm. But the AJP events and the ADCC have got even more money, like almost like an endless pot of money seemingly behind them from the people that run those programs, uh, the sheikhs from the Middle East. Mm. Yet it costs a lot of money to test. If the right, if people were going to test, it would probably be those with the endless pot of money. Yet they choose not to. Mm. So there's got to be some questions asked about the people with the most money that are trying to add entertainment to the sport are not testing when they could. Mm. And the people that have got the money to do it but are kind of trying to preach values, respect, integrity and honour are starting to test now and it's going down one angle and getting very little exposure. Yeah. But within both of those camps, there's just a huge amount of contradiction. Yeah. So there's, it's a bit of a mess in my mind. And Jiu-Jitsu don't really know where it's going as a whole and the organisations don't really know where they're going. So they're being led by the athletes who are at the forefront of it. And there's nobody right now who's at the forefront of Gi Jiu-Jitsu which is, you know, so you've got Tynan Dalpra from AOJ who's doing a fantastic job, who's like one of the best uh, pound for pound out there. Mika Garval, who's another young lad, and then Marigali's coming back because he's like, I went to Nogi, I was all about doing Nogi, but because of the state of it and because of how pure his love and passion for jiu-jitsu is, he's going to come back and just show how he thinks jiu-jitsu should be demonstrated as a clean athlete, supposedly, uh, and I, I believe he probably is, and he'll be tested if he wins, so we'll see. And... Um, but then on the other side, you've got loads of exposure and loads of athletes at the forefront of Nogi mm. in particular. And these that are operating in these other organizations that don't test, that are getting loads of exposure and they're leading the sport. Yeah. Like Gordon Ryan, Craig Jones, Nicky Wadden. And it all just so happens that they used to train together and they're having this big disagreement, however real that is. Um, and you know, regardless of how real it is, is working and is getting eyes on the sport. Right, so it's the Andrew Tate effect. Let's just let's be polarizing. Let's 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 say some things that don't need to be there. And at the end of the day, we can all meet up for a beer afterwards and yeah. just joke about how much I don't know we've made from BJJ fanatics all of a sudden yeah. type of thing. But at the same time, like one of our my our students here, and he's a good friend of mine, and he's worked really closely with the club. Is Sam Hobbs, and he was doing his PhD in uh, ethics in sport based around the use of performance enhancing drugs primarily. And Sam's got like a great stance on it. It'd be good for you to have a chat with him on mm. this. And he's got a, a strong feeling towards fair play. And he's communicated. He's our resident photographer at the club also. He's like a multi-talented guy. And he's been working with the IBJJF uh, events and nice. with some of their athletes on the European scene, like Max Limblad and Tarek Hopstalker, are two good uh, high-level Nogi black, uh, no black belts. And both of them are taking outwardly a real strong stance against performance enhancing drugs in sport. And what they're saying is, if you want to take it, take it. But at the same time, if, you've, if you're taking it and being caught for taking it in the IBGGF or an event that's testing, you should not be allowed to compete in these other events and promotions that don't test because you're obviously have an advantage over other people. And I don't think that there is any hiding from the fact that there is absolutely an advantage gained by taking most of the status on the USADA band list or the WADA band list. It's interesting you say that. So I just don't see unison between all the competitions. That's the problem no, there. And the reality behind it, they go, oh, you won't have them. We'll, we'll have them. That's fine. We've got no problem with that. Type exactly. Of thing. No, it's, it's, it's a moral stance more than anything. Yeah, it's, yeah. An, it's an ethical stance from them saying, you know, we can't train like you can train because of what you're taking. You can get, more, you can get better out of your training more consistently. You turn up physically more prepared uh, and, you know, you're kind of fueling your body in a way that's not fair as composed to those that aren't. So I understand the stance, but I think mm. you're kind of shouting, barking at the wrong tree. Yeah. I don't understand. I don't know what the answer is. No, I don't think it's going to be clear cut in the slightest bit. And even to the point of obviously pride disappeared. We've now got one, one even obviously, all right, they have hydration tests, which is a completely different story altogether. Um, but even in, within their contracts, there's no testing it's again. Like, that's a good idea, the hydration test. Yeah, 100%. Have, I mean, if you could have one, I'd rather have hydration tests over yeah. performance enhancing drug tests. Because, yes, performance enhancing drugs, someone does a spinning wheel kick and kicks your face off, <laughs> somebody could end up with a serious brain injury. Mm. But 
um, is more is more often that people I completely forgot yeah. <laughs> <laughs> talking stick. More often that people end up having serious trouble and then deaths from dehydration. Yeah, no, definitely, and that's the that's the key thing. I literally had this conversation yesterday actually with a client who's doing an ultra white collar boxing event, and he's just coming into Ramadan as well. And he was saying, oh, can we make this work? And I said, well, yeah, we, we could make it work. It's not really optimal. My biggest concern is that where you're fasting across the whole day for Ramadan, you're not going to be taking any fluids. You're then thinking about fighting two hours later. You're going to be dehydrated. You can't guzzle five, six litres. So is it, oh, right, okay. But there, there's fluid on board, though, in it during Ramadan. No. No. No fluid? No fluid. No, fluid. no water? No. no. Like Yasser, when they used to do it. Okay. Crazy how he did it. Now, they're, they're, he's mentioned that obviously previously because of how Ramadan works based on the moon and stuff, obviously their times when they do it obviously changes. And now five, six years ago, it was peak summer. So you'd have five o'clock till like eight o'clock at night. And that, those were the harder times obviously for them. Now it's obviously a little bit shorter where you've got probably eight till six. I think it is roughly in terms of sunrise and sunset. Um, but my biggest concern to him was that if we're taking, you don't have enough fluid in there, the fluid around your brain, which is keeping it nicely there, you take one punch all of a sudden, you're going to get dazed. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not wishing for this to happen the slightest bit, but those are the things that need to be taken into consideration for it. So, no, hydration would be interesting as a, maybe a, a unanimous thing across the board to at least then try to get people in the right categories and we remove the IVF, um, not IVF, is that right? No, no. no. No, IV. IV, that's the one, IV. IVF is about pregnancy. What one about? Fighters having babies. That's another conversation with itself. God. Um, removing the IV situation from it, which I think they need to address pretty quickly because, again, I've probably said a lot, a lot of all the other mixed martial arts out there, they're not using that anymore. But no, that's interesting, guys. Obviously, get your thoughts on that one. Uh, what we're going to do probably here is a couple of uh, quick fire questions, if that's okay, right? Yeah, this could be nice. Um, but we'll start with the longer one, which is going to be, what is an unpopular opinion that you have within the jiu-jitsu world? <laughs> My unpopular opinion for the jiu-jitsu world? Um, I don't know, an unpopular opinion. I don't know if it would be unpopular or popular, but... It's probably a, a status thing, I'd say. Okay. Um, within within organisations or ranking, where people can get above their stations. Do you know what I mean? Where it's just jujitsu. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like we run it. We run it here. Like we want to run. We, we we've all said we want to run a club uh, where we would want an, an atmosphere uh, and a, a place where we would want to go and train. Mm-hmm. And that's how it's always been. It's not like, look, I got the black belt on and all this, like, because that is such rubbish. I've always learned that from a young age. Because uh, when my dad uh, was black belt, he said, you see it when people get up the, rec- uh, 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 up the rankings and the pecking order, shall we say, that it can go to their head a little bit. And it's like, all of a sudden, I'm the Donny, like, do you know what I mean? But uh, <laughs> it's not the case. You've always got to realise it's just a different colour of a belt and that's it. That's yeah. all you got different about someone else you're in there, maybe a knowledge base, but never getting above your station and everybody's treated on a completely equal playing field. Mm. I'm not as good as, I'm not uh, better than you. I'm not no worse. We're just the same. Um, oh, and I think, Maurizio says that you've liked so much. Yeah, I, I love Maurizio. I mean, I love Maurizio. I do, <laughs> Maurizio, he is, I said to Cars today, we're, we're seeing Maurizio, uh, Roger's dad, um, tomorrow. He's coming to Bristol. Oh, uh, nice. su- Sunday, sorry, Sunday. Um, and, he, he he could be, do you know what I mean? He could give it the big one if he wanted to because mm. he's, uh, he's the, one of the t- top-ranking guys in jiu-jitsu. Sure. Is that, is, you know what I mean? He's fathered Roger Gracie and uh, created one of the best jiu-jitsu fighters of all time. But, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, but he's the most down-to-earth, chilled bloke that you'd ever want to meet. <laughs> if you just see, if he walked in now, you wouldn't know he is who he is yeah. because he, he's got that, he knows what it's all about. It's about, he makes you feel welcome. He yes. has a proper laugh at you. Like he's your mate down, down a pub. Like. Yeah. And um, I, I think that's my, that's the one thing that uh, gnaws at me in, in, in jiu-jitsu is people do get above their station and start thinking they're something they're not. Uh, and and that's, the, that's the only thing. But prob- that's, I would say that's probably a popular opinion, not an unpopular opinion. But <laughs> that's, just... that's the thing that winds me up in jiu-jitsu. Like that. that's, right. that's about it, really, so. What about you, Luke? What's an unpopular opinion you have about jiu-jitsu? Um, like as a broad statement, lineage doesn't matter. 
And what I mean by that, it doesn't matter if you project it in the wrong way. So I'll be completely open about my own jiu-jitsu journey for those that aren't aware. Um, I trained for 10 years under one coach and had a great relationship. And uh, like all relationships, you know, that end, you look back and there are good and bad aspects. But I trained with that coach from day dot white belt until three stripes on my brown belt. So it was a very strange time to leave and all manner of circumstances. But I, yeah, I ended that relationship with that coach and didn't receive my black belt from him. Um, then ended up getting my black belt from Victor Estima, who's a Nogi world champion, one of the most renowned people in jiu-jitsu with his brother Braulio and one of the heads of the Gracie Bar organization, who I had a fantastic relationship with. And I was very, very fortunate and grateful to get my black belt from him after spending some time uh, training with him up at Nottingham and connecting when we were still in the Gracie Bar Association. He was Gracie Bar Westbury. And then recently, after making the move, um, again, with more so with my relationship to the association rather than Victor, good and bad aspects, and I'm sure that may go both ways, we were looking to progress and open more schools and expand and uh, align ourselves with exactly what we wanted to achieve. So ended up with the Roger Gracie Association, of which Clayton had um, a stand longer-standing relationship with Maurizio. And, uh, I got my first degree on my black belt from Roger. So... Outwardly, I can say I'm a black belt under Roger Gracie, or I got my black belt from Victor Estima. Yep. But I always told my first coach, when I get my belts, I don't want you to get anyone else to tie them around my waist. Because he would get people to come in and do seminars, which many clubs do, which were fantastic, with people like Roger and Victor and many, many other people. And people would be fortunate to have their belt tied by that person. But I always told him, you're my coach, you're my black belt, I want my belt from you. And if anyone asks, I'll tell them I got my belt from... Uh, Giza, Nikolai Holt, you know, and I was proud to say that. So what I see a lot of is that people hide behind lineage. They say, I'm a, they advertise, I'm a black belt under this person. I'm a black belt under Roger Gracie. I'm a black belt under this person or that person. And I think what that's doing is hiding from the fact that they may not have achieved enough themselves. What does it matter who gave you your black belt? You know, what, the reason it would matter to me that somebody gave my black belt is because I had a long-standing respect relationship with that person and if it wasn't long-standing it was a deep relationship albeit short based on shared values and alignment but i want to i, I want to advertise myself as somebody that's not got a black belt from roger gracie or a first degree black belt from roger gracie so i can name drop so that's hiding behind a 10-time world champion to legitimize myself roger's probably got about god knows how many 60 70 80 however many black belts so there are going to be varying degrees of competence within each one of those people. It doesn't make me, therefore, by association, a 10-time world champion because I got my black belt from him. So instead, what have I done? That's what a black belt should do. Um, rather than name drop their lineage, what have you actually done yourself? And what we've done here is grown the biggest community in the southwest of the UK in terms of a jiu-jitsu club, changed lives for the better of a number of people, including ourselves, two local lads that grew up around here of made a life out of living from jiu-jitsu which we're proud of and i'm sorry if it sounds like i'm blowing my own trumpet <laughs> um so and then you know my previous accomplishments albeit kind of small in comparison to many others as a competitor so i'd rather regardless of how big or small speak to what i have done and encourage people to say what have you done and you produced instead of this i'm a black belt under and therefore trying to become successful by association to somebody else yeah that you sort of let your <laughs> your results speak for themselves rather than try and grasp obviously someone's there at the end of the day it's kind of, to some degree i'd say it's even slightly rude in the sense of expectate well knowing that you're saying that you're under this lineage and just making people presume that do you know what i have their attributes exactly to me like as roger i'd be like well no you didn't go to <laughs> you didn't do those let's be real <laughs> yeah so back in your box a little bit like just chill out a second type thing but um no it's interesting Next question we've got, a quick fire one. Um, you have the opportunity to submit one jiu-jitsu athlete and the options are Cade Rotolo or Craig Jones. Who are you submitting? Never again, I'll, no keep, I'll keep this short. Uh, Craig Jones. Craig Jones. <laughs> <laughs> he's Craig Jones. <laughs> Craig Jones. I, love it. I don't hate Craig Jones. I don't, I don't hate anybody. But um, I'm not a fan of the way that he, the, the way he's just gone too far off the deep end with the character. But I understand, again, he's... He's making a living for himself and he's being smart. So, <laughs> still But still. out of the two of them, Cade Rotolo, uh, FaceTimed my son. Did he? The day he won the world ADCC World Championships. I was at ADCC what? watching. My two, I got two little mixed race sons. And Rico, the oldest, trains jiu-jitsu here with us. And uh, 
I saw Cade outside and I was on the phone. I said, Rico is, uh, is Cade because he'd seen him on YouTube. And he had a little conversation with him before he competed. And all he asked for at home, can I see Cade do a backflip again after he won? He watches his jiu-jitsu. <laughs> so it was like, that could be a massive moment for him if he decides to take this on for a long time. And what a role model. So there's no way I could try You know, obviously I'm not getting anywhere near either of them. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but Craig Jones. Craig Jones. Out of two, yeah, I go, I go, yeah, Craig Jones. So you can wind him right. So you just give him a load of stick after, wouldn't you? How would you, and how it, would you submit him? It'd be funny what he come back with. How would you submit him? Uh, go go platter. <laughs> 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 Breathe on it. <laughs> oh god, no, that's absolutely great. Um, so post fight meal. What's the one meal you're going to? Oh, post fight. That's after the fight, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, post fight, just I, I do love a burger, but <laughs> boy, yeah, <laughs> no, there's no calories in that. <laughs> don't look at the calories; they don't count. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I just it's last meal thing, isn't it? I go for a full oh, English burger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, up till seven in the morning. Um, no, I go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. oh sorry yeah I do after comp to be honest like you said then I do like a drink do you know what I mean because I, uh, I do like to do you know what I mean I, I have like to party over the years that's always been my downfall do you know what I mean uh, if I'm being upfront and honest and everybody probably we'll, knows we'll that. clip that yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah do you know what I mean a few drinks do you know what I mean I, I always go uh, name my wife as well we just go back have a few drinks and uh Party. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, more consistently lately, I think it's probably been Five Guys Burger. Five Guys Burger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just Five Guys. Five Guys Burger and Fries. Uh, fish and chips. <laughs> fish and chips. Uh, Domino's. I love a Domino's pepperoni. <laughs> Pepperoni. Anything like that. That's a good question. Speaking of which, does pineapple belong on pizza? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I don't have it anymore, but I used to. Used to? Each to their own. Each to their own. Yeah, only, on, only on a Hawaiian, obviously. <laughs> Hawaiian. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, any other questions you got for me whilst I'm here or anything? But I think no, we'll try and wrap it up. For no, a we'll have those in private. You know, so I think we you know, get a bit of inclusion with working with you ourselves. I mean, personally, for my own my own nutrition instead of just slapping it all together and then not getting the best results and then getting you working with our team. So yeah. I think it's been long enough and this was the catalyst to get it done, mate. Thank yeah. you. Well, again, thanks obviously for being number one podcast, obviously, for us to be able to do this. Um, again, Clayton, any questions for you at all, fellow? Or? Uh, no, I just want to give you a, a shout out, really. You've just been really, really, really good as a, as a, a student. Uh, you're a perfect role model for a student. Turn up, get your early sessions in as well. Uh, <clears throat> listen to everything I said in the room and... Um, yeah, you bind into the community well. Everyone knows you as uh, uh, Nutrition Jay. Nutrition Jay, King of the Avocados. or yeah. Avocados. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, your, your, um, your work rate and your performances have been speaking for themselves recently uh, in competition. So got your first gold last, last month. Or got two goals now. Two goals now, do you know what I mean? So uh, proofs in the pudding, like you say, results speak for themselves. And um, yeah, it's a, like the community-based thing that we're looking at is it's give and take. One gives the other. So... We're trying to pass on that jujitsu, and then it'd be, it'd be nice to get some of that um, nutrition-based uh, information and expertise from you. And uh, yeah, I hope we didn't bore you too much. <laughs> Not at all, guys. <laughs> like from my perspective, it's been great coming to this community. Um, as you guys came, I'm probably aware, I came with a bit of baggage, obviously coming to here. And I, there's always one message that I remember quite clearly was that you came just said, "Look, let's just get you on the mats and just get you rolling again." And that encumbrance and that family feel that you guys had was absolutely awesome from day dot type of thing and I'm kind of blessed to say obviously I've come across this place and obviously got recommended by other people and speaking to other people I don't ever hear a bad bad word about you guys in the slightest bit in the slightest speaking bit. to the wrong people <laughs> <laughs> maybe we'll find out it'll be like podcast 20 and all of a sudden yeah. it's like Luton and Clayton oh, nah not them guys type of thing um, but yeah thanks very much obviously for being here really appreciate your time and everything and efforts one, one nutrition one is like um, breakfast it. food, something to sort out Clayton's bad breath. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting.
waiting for him to do well. <laughs> <laughs> I, keep trying to get I was waiting for him to do well. I'll let him have that. I'll, I'll, let him have that. I'll be the older brother. I'll let him wait. I'll let him do, you, do you want the technical technical no. view? No? We'll no, 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 no. I've pr- I basically haven't got bad breath. It's, it's like a, it's like one of those questions, you know, when you say when those blokes go, Oh, what do you do if you have a little boon? He's he got bad breath, so he's he always asked bad breath questions, but about me, like in the second person. <laughs> the, the new submission for Craig Jones, the bad <laughs> smother bad breath technique. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love it. Guys, thank you very much for the first podcast. Really appreciate it. Um, we may even get you on future guests and the athletes obviously on board. Um, obviously, a couple of shout outs. We've got Carson and Ash obviously competing in Grapple Fest in a couple of weeks time, which I'll be there at, which will be really interesting to see. Both of them compete to a high level. Uh, any other promotions you got, you've got going on for Roger Gracie at the moment? Or? Just our monthly promotion for members. Like, you know, the the more people you can get and the better. So, like I said, the milestone of reaching our 500th member at the club is a great thing, so we wanted to give back a little bit. So we are offering a 50% discounted membership for tw- the first 25 sign-ups. Um, we might even extend that, you know, if we get, because uh, we're getting close to that 25 now through the course of the month. So 50% off for 12 months to mark our 500th member. So if you want to come along and train, uh, come and enjoy yourselves, get involved in some jiu-jitsu and get a little bit of what we've been enjoying. Exactly that. Right, awesome. Cheers, guys. Appreciate Thanks. it. Epic.